Welcome to the Generous Business Owner Podcast, where business owners gain inspiration and encouragement to live a legacy, not just leave one. And now your hosts, Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt. Welcome, everybody, to the Generous Business Owner Podcast. My name is Jeff Thomas. I'm pleased to have Jeff Rutt and Alan Barnhart with me, my co-hosts. And since this is just episode three, Jeff and I thought we would just ask some questions of Alan and get a little more of his story. So, Jeff, why don't you kick us off with, uh, with a couple of questions for, for Alan? Thank you, Jeff. Yeah, Alan, thank you for being an incredible mentor to me. You have had such an influence on, on my life, on our business, and just a lot of the decisions that we've made. Tell us a little bit about the journey, what it was like. Take us back. How many years ago was it that you, you made the transfer of the stock in the business? And what was that like thinking through that potential decision? Great. I mean, I'd say we, we actually committed the company to God. And, and I'd say in one sense, gave the company away in 1986 when we started it. It was part of our deciding to go into business. And I had seen a read enough scriptures to say that there was real danger in business. And one of our safeguards was to say, God, this is your business. You own it. Technically, my brother and I owned it until 2008. In 2008, we transferred the company irrevocably into a charitable trust. And it was not some gut-wrenching experience. It was really a feeling of relief and freedom because if something had happened to me, the company had grown in value a lot. And, and was worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And if something had happened to my brother or I, there would have been huge estate taxes and all kinds of financial turmoil. When we got this transaction done, there was great freedom. So it was not, not a gut-wrenching experience at all. It was an experience of, of stewardship. It always had belonged to God. And we felt the best stewardship was to have the stock ownership in the hands of a charity permanently. We still continue to run the company. We didn't really give it away. We continue to run it. We continue to be the chief stewards of it, but we no longer are the technically the owners. Yeah. So, so tell me what that's like as you are continuing to run it. There might be the perception out there. I know I've heard that, oh, you've given the stock away and you're kind of like hands off and not really that involved in the business. Tell us what that was like before and after the transition? And you know, what's your level of, of passion for the business? You know, giving away the business did have an effect on my personal balance sheet, but that's about it. It had, it had no effect on our banking relationships or on our bonding relationships. It had zero effect on my motivation. I continue to come to work every day and work hard our goal is to be the best company in our industry, and I continue to push to do that. In my view, everything I have has come from God and belongs to God, and it, and it was always that way. When we transferred the stock of the company, that didn't change at all, and the company has grown a lot in value since we, uh, since we gave it away. I love it. Alan, you know, one of the questions you asked Jeff last week that uh, maybe we'll put back to you is, Tell us about the growth of the business. You know, maybe you can start from the beginning a little bit. You have got such a great origination story, but and, and I always, I, th I think I know that I can only relate to a story if there's been a few setbacks along the way. So maybe as you tell the origination and the growth story, maybe a setback or two along the way. 
Well, sure. Yeah. The company started in 1969. My mom and dad started the business. It was a mom and pop business. Mom did all the books. Dad was the engineer and kind of ran the company. International corporate headquarters was two bedrooms of our home. <laughs> so I grew up in, the, you know, from the time I was nine years old, this business existed and I worked there on the weekends and every summer in college and in high school, came to work for the business straight out of college. And so I tell people I have a very boring resume. I've worked the same place since I was nine years old. Yeah. But in 1986, my parents decided to leave the company because they wanted to go sail around the world. They had a dream of doing that. And the two of them did it. Off they went. They bought a boat and took off and were gone sailing for most of the next seven years. And so my brother and I started a new business in 1986. But we, before we started the business, we talked a lot about the dangers of wealth. Fortunately, God had given us a lot of verses about the dangers of wealth, and I had read through the whole Bible to see what it said about money, and man, I came away with a fear that business success could hurt me. So when we started the business, we started it with some parameters, and the first one was the whole concept of stewardship, that God owns it, and the second one was a concept of let's, let's not get carried away with our lifestyle. Let's have a limited lifestyle. And if God chooses to prosper the business, we can use that profit to help others. And so that was our initial start. Now, we didn't know if we'd even survive the first year. I was a 25-year-old kid, and and, it was a mom-and-pop business, and mom and pop left. And so, but just in case, we wanted to put those safeguards in our life. And so we did, and we started into business. And, you know, the very first year, we made money. And we were so thrilled to have, uh, I think, $50,000 to give away. That year, I worked, I probably averaged 100 hours a week working. I was running a crane during the day and doing the books at night, and it was a a crazy time. I really enjoyed it. Unfortunately, my wife, we had just been married for one year when this started, and our second year of marriage was really hard on her. And at the end of that second year, we had to make some changes, and I had back up a little bit. I overdid it. But the next several years were years of the joy of growing a business and bringing other people in, hiring people that were smarter than I was and getting them uh, involved. Some were very attracted to the purpose of the company, the mission of the company. As I said to them, basically said to them, the fruits of your labor won't go to increase my lifestyle. I have capped my lifestyle. If this company is successful, the fruits of your labor will go for the purposes of helping others, for the purposes of the kingdom. And, and there were a number of really quality people that were attracted to that purpose and joined us. And, you know, once you've attracted people that way, it provides some great accountability because now we've committed to, we've told them of our commitment. They have joined us and, and now we're pretty well locked in. And that was, that was a big help. It's easy to make a commitment. It's hard to stay with it over time. And, and that was a great benefit to us. So over the next many years, the company grew. We grew about 25% a year for, for about 23 years, went through some real boom times. We had some bust times in 2001 when Enron hit. We were 60% of our business was putting in uh, power plants around the country at that time. And that went from 60% to about 5%. So we had to really adjust and scramble. Similar in 2008, nine. The economy really went down, and we went from a fast-growing company to one that shrunk a couple of years, which was really different for us. So, it, But it's been a joy all the way through, trying to figure out the challenges of business and how to be good at what you do, while at the same time having an impact on the people that work for you. 
And then another significant part for us is what to do with the money that God is bringing into our company. And so we've had to spend a lot of time trying to figure out how to give away the money well, how to invest that money in kingdom purpose as well, because I think you really can do more harm than good in, uh, in giving. So, Alan, I have, I have two questions. One, tell us a little bit about uh, some of that discussion. I'm going to take you back to the beginning when you were thinking about business, mission field. Uh, talk, talk a little bit about that, uh, quote unquote, discussion with your wife. Uh, and then also, and then fast forward, I'd love to, if, if there's a listener out there that's contemplating doing something like this, uh, what are some of the, the key things that you would advise them to be thinking about as the pros and cons as they weigh the possibility of, of transferring you know, the, the ownership of the stock in their companies? So kind of bookend in it both ways on, or both ends on those, those two questions. Great questions. Yeah. But Jeff, what you're alluding to was a conversation my wife and I had right before my parents came and told us about their dream. Catherine and I were planning to go on the mission field. We were planning to go as missionaries to, to uh, the Middle East. And we um, were preparing to do that, trying to learn Arabic and get ready to go as missionaries. So when my parents came to us, they basically said, if, if you want to go as missionaries, we'll sell the company. But if you want to stay and run the company and start your own business, you can do that. And it set about a real struggle for us as we were trying to figure out what does God want us to do? Does he want us to be missionaries or does he want us to do this business thing? And the more we prayed through that and struggled through it, we finally ended up deciding that God wanted us to be in business and that, uh, and that if we could set up a partnership with my brother that we thought would eliminate some of the pitfalls, if, if that would work, then we would go ahead and do that. And so my brother and I and our wives prayed together and committed to God that we would be stewards, not owners, and that we would live a limited lifestyle. And with that, we decided to go into business. But it was a it was a hard decision. And uh, one that we look back on, it was a real turning point in the road for us. And I think that God has honored it over the years. Remind me again, Jeff, the second question. Yeah, I think Jeff Brett was asking about, you know, to a young entrepreneur thinking about pursuing this path, maybe on the growth trajectory, you know, what, what, what kind of tips might you give them if they want to be generous? Yeah, I think that I think that greed is one of the choice tools of our enemy to hurt us, to tear us apart, to, to wreck our lives. The whole concept of you deserve something or you've earned it, it's yours. Things will make you happy. If you only have this, it'll make you happy. Those are all lies, really. And I think to I would encourage you to call those out as lies like they are, um, realizing that all that we have has come from God and belongs to God. You know, as you're, as you're in business, I would say, be careful. Read through the scriptures. There's great warnings in there that will guide you away from the natural world way of doing things. We started right off the bat giving away 50% of our profits each year as a way of saying to God, we're going to provide for you. As a way of saying to God, we know that you're going to provide for us. We, um, we're in a very capital intensive business and we have to, we buy very expensive equipment. All the way along the way, God has provided enough for us to be able to grow our business and to be able to give away 50% of our profits. I think if you take God out of the equation, 
you're taking out a huge piece. God has done something at our company that's unusual. And I'd say, put yourself in a position to be blessed by God. God does not want to extract things from you. He doesn't want your money. He wants you. And because he wants you, he wants you to hold your money with an open hand. And as you hold your money with an open hand, you will find a God who wants to give you a rich, abundant life. Now, that will look all different. It'll look differently for every person. For some people, that may mean business failure and a, and a path in another direction. And for some, it may mean wild business success. Either way, if you're holding things with an open hand, there is great freedom in that. And, wow. uh, and it's, it's also the appropriate way. God has provided. Everything that you have has come from him and, and belongs to him. And honoring him in that way breaks the power of greed. And that's a, that's a great benefit. I love it. I love it. He wants you. I love it. He doesn't need the money, right? He doesn't need no. any of the stuff. He, he just wants to invite us to participate. I just, I just love that. One of, the, one of the unique things about your story, Alan, I, I'm, I'm thinking of people that are listening that are, you know, kind of starting out in business, you know, and, and you've, you've got this story where you and your wife kind of set your finish line at, at uh, what, you know, what missionaries would make and we'll give everything else away. That's such a unique story. And sometimes people get later in life and maybe they feel like they they can't do that. But, you know, you did it early in life. And, and because of that, you know, you had this attitude, you know, Jeff Rutt last week was talking about how, you know, he kind of ran it by his son, Ben, but his son was already working in the business as what was an adult when they started to what we call paper it, you know, and give it to the foundation or, or, or having transferring the stock to the foundation. Your family, you got a lot of children. Maybe you can talk a little more about that, but they were little. I think for the most part, when you started doing this, you want to just talk about the impact. You talk about a little bit of the impact on the business. What about the impact on the family? You know, I think it's, I think that growing up with a simple lifestyle is a mm. great benefit to kids. Not growing up as rich kids really helps. They, they get the concept that the world does not revolve around them. Godliness with contentment is great gain. It says in first Timothy six. And I think you don't teach kids contentment by giving them stuff. You teach them contentment by having them enjoy the things that they have. My kids have don't feel like they were ripped off by the fact that we gave away this company that was worth hundreds of millions of dollars. I think expectation management is critical. And I think my kids grew up not expecting things. And, and we did a lot of things that were special treats that they, that they enjoyed, but, but it came without the expectations. A lot of times we did have to say no to our kids. We said, I'm sorry. No, you don't. You can't have that that latest electronic thing or that latest toy. But we also showed them the alternative. And the alternative to being a consumer is to be a kingdom investor. And so we took our kids all over the world, to let them see amazing brothers and sisters in Christ in Vietnam, in India, in Egypt, in Turkey. And uh, so my kids, uh, we didn't go to Disney World, but we went to some amazing places and saw some amazing things. And my kids don't look back on this and feel ripped off. They feel like they were the beneficiaries of the choices that we made, and including the choice to give away most of our net worth when we gave away the company. We, we believe in, in giving our kids a rich inheritance. The scripture says that. But you know, I think that inheritance is not so much about money. And the equivalent here is we want to give our kids an education and a work ethic and a faith 
and a, and a support from them. And we tried to do that in a rich, abundant way. And, but we just feel like the dollars is a small part of the, of the uh, inheritance that we want to leave. And I think our kids, again, do not feel embittered by that at all. They, they were, uh, they were not part of the decision-making process, but they also don't feel like they were the victims of it. Okay. You, you gotta, if you're willing, you've got to share the, uh, the Hummer story when your when your son was 16, wasn't he? Something like that. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, my kids were human beings, you know, right. they, there's these natural tendencies for stuff, you know, and, and, uh, I had one of my sons, I think he was 14 or 13. Yeah. He couldn't even drive, but he, okay. he wanted, he wanted a Hummer. Every it was when, when the Hummers first came out. Yeah. I don't know, this is back 10, 10, 15 years ago, whatever. And he kept, Whenever we'd see a Hummer on the road, Dad, look at that Hummer. He'd tell me about how big a wall it could climb up and how much traction it had. And he knew all the statistics. And, you know, I finally sat him down and I said, son, if we wanted to, we could buy 50 Hummers. We could write a check for it tomorrow for 50 Hummers and it'd be no problem. And he was kind of, is it, he kind of saucer eyed, like, what, what is going on? <laughs> And uh, I said, but, you know, why would we spend $100,000 on a vehicle? We always bought used, we always have bought used vehicles. I don't think we've ever spent more than $10,000 on a vehicle. And, uh, but we've had a lot of nice vehicles and you can buy, we, you know, maybe right now you probably couldn't do one for 10000 but, you know, we used to have a Suburban. I said, that Suburban gets better fuel mileage, hauls people, is more dependable, this Hummer and has a better ride. Why would we want to spend $90,000 extra? Think, son, what that $90,000 could do in some of those places that we visited. And you know what? He got it. It clicked for him. And, uh, you know, I mean, he's a human being. He probably, he wouldn't have minded a Hummer, but he saw that, <laughs> that the alternative was richer and better than, than having the cool car. Well, I just love that story. I think it humanizes. That's the real stuff. You know, it's not going to be all rainbows it's a way better lifestyle but to to be generous but but still there's some challenges along the way you're going to get those questions from the kids that's the real world i think another story that i really enjoyed of yours is the way you look at this i think some people think you're trying to be the mother teresa of the business world and i know you always chuckle at that and say you know talking maybe you could uh, you know i'm an old financial advisor so i think about 401ks and things so maybe you could share how how you respond to that that question yeah, you know, it's um, we live in a hugely affluent society, and the fact that we are slightly less affluent than than some people doesn't mean that we're not very wealthy. We talk about having a simple lifestyle. If if we put that in the global perspective, we are wildly wealthy compared to the average yeah. person in this world. So we we don't feel like well, our life has been some sacrificial life. It has been a rich, abundant life. So we, we, uh, I mean, our, our salary is a hundred thousand dollars a year. That's a lot of money and that's way above average. And, and so to call that sacrificial just doesn't seem right. I mean, we could live on 10 times as much or 20 times as much, but I don't think our life would be better if we did. So we, yeah, we passed up a few of the toys, but I'd say we've passed up none of the good stuff in life. Yeah. And, and I believe you told me that, you know, you've been saving the 401k for a lot of decades. So you're doing just fine for that, too, should you need to retire. So it's you, you haven't to taken a total vow of poverty is, is I think, the, the point. Is yeah, that fair you know, to it's, say? It's actually a point of struggle for us right now as we look at the verse that says, don't store up treasure for yourself on earth. We started a 401k when I was young. 
man, we got $4 million in this 401k. And I'm thinking, is that a violation of don't store up treasure for yourself on earth? And so we're actually in the process of trying to reduce our net worth because we don't have the need. Yeah. And so that's uh, that's part of the journey that we're on right now. And, and we set out to not become wealthy. We ended up becoming what I would consider very wealthy. And now we're trying to make sure that we're good stewards of that all the way to the end. Well, along those lines of being a good steward, one of the things that I think, you know, when, when, when we are talking to generous business owners like yourself that we run into is, you know, when you, when you get serious about giving, and we talked about this a little, you and I talked a little about this uh, in the last episode with Jeff Rutt, you know, his involvement with starting Hope International and finding out that some of the giving they were doing was actually doing, you know, hurting. If they're giving t-shirts to Africa where they're, you know, putting the textile business out of business, you know, then, then you've got a problem. So they started microfinance and that sort of thing. Well, as your company has grown and, and the, the, the giving dollars have grown, I think of your giving almost being like another business to run. Do you think that's fair? And how do you manage that? How, how, do, you, how do you be a good steward of the giving? Yeah, it's a, one of the things that we decided on the very, at the very beginning. That first year, we had $50,000 to give. We decided to do it as a group. There were six of us that got together and we prayed and said, God, what do you want us to do with your money? And yet we tried to avoid some of the emotional part of giving. And at the same time, we wanted to be intentional investors more so than just people giving handouts. And so we set up a process to try to figure out how to be strategic, as be as strategic in our giving as we are in making of money. We give away 50% of our profits. And over the years, that number just kept growing. So that those, that those group of six people grew as well. And now it's about 80 people that are part of that process. We have divided that 80 people into groups. And so there's a team that focuses on India and a team that focuses on the Middle East and North Africa and a team that focuses on Southeast Asia and a team that focuses on West Africa. And they try to go find organizations that are changing lives and that are doing good work and that are doing it in the name of Jesus. And then they bring us a portfolio of those or of those ministries. And they say, we would, this is what we think we should, this is our suggested portfolio for how we can invest in the kingdom in that area. And then there's a board of directors or board of the board of this organization that makes that those final choices. And so I'm involved both on one of the teams and in that board of directors. And it is a lot of work. All of the those 80 people are either employees of our company or spouses of employees who are volunteering their time to help. And we send them to hard parts of the world and, and they get to meet amazing brothers and sisters. And so we have shared that responsibility, shared that that workload to do in that. And it has been a tremendous blessing to the people in our company who are part of it. There's only 80 that are part of that. So it's a relatively small percentage, but but those who have opted to join that group have uh, have really benefited from. It. Yeah, I think that's uh, beautiful. Is there? Do you think there is uh, ever a time when you think about the next ten years, Alan? You know, you've been doing this for a long time. You took over in 1986, I think you said with your brother. Uh, you've been doing this a long time, and and you know, while you, you've taken care of the sort of structure of the business, how do you think about you know, passing the torch, what would you sell the company at some point? Have you thought about that, those kind of things? Is there a next chapter that God's kind of working on you about? What can you share about what, 
what God's given you uh, a vision for for the future? It's a great and timely question. I'm, I'm 61 years old and I've been doing the same job for 36 years and trying to figure out what it is that God has for me. I don't have a clear direction. I don't have any thought of selling the business. I see the business as a ministry unto itself. We're trying to affect life change in people that work in our business. We're also trying to do good work. We think that using our skills and gifts to do good work is glorifying to God. The purpose of our business is to glorify God by doing good work, by also sharing our faith and by generating money for the body of Christ. And so we're wanting to keep doing that. And we're trying to set the business up so it can go on permanently, have no plan to end it. It can, it should be able to live on well past me. The way that we orchestrated the structure of the company makes it very easy to transfer the stewardship of the company to another generation or to a leadership team without any of the estate tax issues. So that's been very simplified. That doesn't answer the question of who's going to run the company next. Right. And so we are developing a whole team of people. Some of them are fairly young right now. And, and But I, we have it in a spot where if I got hit by a truck tomorrow, the company would continue on fine. And we are now just praying about timing of when it is that someone else should take the CEO role and I should do something else. I don't have any desire to retire, but I could see myself spending more time on certain priorities and and uh, no longer being the CEO. And, and I don't have a timetable on that, but I'd say I have open hands on that. And when I feel the right person is there, I'm ready to turn it over. Well, I think there's just so many lessons. It, it, you know, it's not easy. I think that's one of the points, right? I mean, it just takes total dependence. I know you're a, a very godly man, and so you're constantly seeking God's wisdom about all these different stages. I just have this picture in my head of starting out with your wife and, you know, should we go in the mission field or should we take over the business? You know, you've done the hard work of setting your finish line. That's something we always encourage people to do. What's your financial finish line? And then, you know, the business grows and you're giving 50% away. And then you paper what we call papering the truth, where you, you give uh, uh, the stock to the foundation. And then now you're dealing with, okay, succession issues. These are just, there's a big set of challenges along the way. And so if you feel like there's, there's somebody out there, maybe they're, you know, in their early forties or, or maybe they're even in their early fifties and they're trying to, you know, maybe they've had some business success here. They're, they're trying to think about how to structure this. They're trying to think about maybe how to do the ownership. Do they give it to the kids? Do they give some to the family? You know, what's the maybe one or two thoughts just in wrapping up here that you'd really like to leave that sort of, if you've got that sort of mid forties person in your, in your head, that's had some business success and is thinking about this structure stuff. What, what just one or two practical things might you leave with them? Right. Yeah. I, I would really, I'm a big proponent of if you fully own your company of putting it into a, a charitable trust, I think there's some great advantages to it and almost no disadvantages. I think it's something to look hard at. There's some tremendous tax savings in doing it. As far as leaving money to your kids, I would say be careful. I would say, you know, one of the illustrations I use is, is the lottery. We have the lottery here in Tennessee, and I hate the lottery. It's basically <laughs> poor people subsidizing my yeah. kids' education. But the worst part about the lottery is somebody wins, and that winner is almost always devastated. Their life is wrecked. And, and there's just story after story of inheritances causing the same kind of problems, uh, strife within families. And most of the time, there's strife within families, not because there's not enough money, but because there's too much. And, and I'd say to be careful that money doesn't come back and 
become an evil in your life rather than a benefit. So money has great power for good and for evil. And, and so be intentional. Do it on purpose. Don't do what the world tells you to do. Think it through yourself. All of this belongs to God. You're going to leave it all behind anyway. In light of who God is, in light of what God has done for you, in light of that you're part of the body of Christ that has all these different needs, how should you live and how should you operate your business and how should you look at the fruits of your business? What I would say is I, I, I'm not a communist at all, but what a communist manifesto was from each according to his ability to each according to his need. A terrible political system. It won't work. But I think not a bad way to live your life. Produce all that you can produce. Use your skills and gifts to do great things and, and produce things. A lot of times that has nothing to do with money, but sometimes it does. And then consume what you need. And hopefully there's a big difference, a big gap in there. And use that gap to further the kingdom of God. And that is a rich, abundant way to live life. Well, produce all you can, make all you can and give all you can is, is sure. what I heard as a, as a summary. And that's a, you're one of the most joy-filled people I know. And, and so thank you for that inspiration. Alan Barnhart, thanks for being with us uh, to tell your story today. Thanks to Jeff Rutt for joining us today also. And thanks to all of you for listening. We're excited to have you tune in each week to have another interview and uh, you'll hear much more from Alan. He's one of the co-hosts of this podcast. So until then, Godspeed and God bless. Thanks for listening to the Generous Business Owner Podcast with Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt. Make sure to follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode. You can find the guest contact information in the show notes. Stay tuned for the next episode.